You're listening to Jumping the Wealth Curve with your host, Edward Bow. For most of my life, I've been riding and racing dirt bike motorcycles, so it was natural to say Jumping the Wealth Curve. When he's not on his bike, Ed is helping families retire successfully as a certified financial planner and five-star wealth manager at Smallwood Wealth Management. There isn't a one-size-fits-all solution for everything, so we're talking about finances and a financial plan. We need to stay flexible. Now, here's your host, Ed Bow. Well, welcome everybody and all my curve jumping listeners. Uh, we're back. All right. We've been took a little hiatus, but we're back in business. And I think we were off for about a year or so. And, um, but we are jumping back into it. Yes. Pun intended folks. Uh, we have a bunch of firsts going on today. So first thing is we're not only doing a podcast, but we're doing a V cast. So we're doing dual format. Um, so we're releasing this in video, and guess what? The wheels of progress are in are happening here for 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 the uh, jumping the wealth curve podcast. Watch out! All right, second first is we are mobile today. Outside of our Red Bank, New Jersey office, where all that magic always happens, we're actually in Detroit, Michigan, and there'll be more to follow on that. And then third, but not least, instead of just hearing me flapping my gums and talk about different subjects, I'm doing our first interview style podcast or VCast. I have a special guest for you all today, so let's get into it. So we are in the offices of Signal Advisors that are located in Detroit, Michigan, and which, sorry, I just messed up. We're here in the office of Signal Advisors that are located in Detroit, Michigan, and if you haven't been here in a while, the city's gone through a, a real nice renaissance. So I've been out here for the last couple of years, and I can tell you it's really, really nice city. So I can tell you, contrary to what people have been saying to me when I come out here, it's not what they think. So I'm really happy to see how nice this city is, and I'm enjoying it tremendously. So um, we're here to interview Patrick Kelly, CEO of Signal Advisors. Um, we work closely with this group to help bring clients some interesting solutions for retirement income, investment management, and protection strategies. So let me give you some background on Pat. I'm going to read this because it's pretty extensive. Okay. So Patrick Kelly is co-founder and CEO of Signal Advisors. Previously, he was co-founded and CEO of RepPro where he built software to streamline the sale of annuities and life insurance for financial advisors. RepPro was acquired in 2018 by Annexus, a Blackstone-backed distributor of insurance products. Prior to this, Patrick co-managed an independent financial advisory firm called Kelly Capital Partners and started his career as a financial representative at Northwestern Mutual. Patrick holds a bachelor's degree from Michigan State University. Pat. Thank you for having us today and taking part in the VCast. Um, your bio is impressive and says a lot about how you ended up starting Signal Advisors. Can you give me a little background on Signal and how it came to be? Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I would say this. Uh, my marketing team probably wrote that because uh, if I, it was up to me, I'd just say I like to solve problems and build stuff. Um, that's, that's why I do what I do. Um, it just happens to be in financial services. Financial services certainly 
found me. <laughs> uh, I kind of stumbled into the into the business, but I was uh, I I started an internship in Northwestern Mutual. Um, I was I played college lacrosse at a small school um, called Marymount University, and then transitioned from there to I kind of realized lacrosse was not going to be in my future um, post post school post graduation, and so I said, all right, what am I going to do after this? And um, I. I made a transition to go back home. So I'm from Detroit. Um, I was born overseas, but I've, I've grown up most of my life in Detroit, Michigan. And, um, and so I had a lot of friends at, at, at the university of Michigan state, uh, Michigan state university. And then also, um, I just, I just, uh, thought it'd be a good place for me to kind of get closer to home and, and finish school out there. And so that's what I did. But, um, through that process, I had, a, I had actually a pretty big challenge. One was like, I wanted to go into finance. I knew that I loved finance, but I transitioned as a junior to Michigan State. And so when you transition in college, you lose your you lose your GPA, but you keep your credits. And in order to get into the business school, you have to maintain a certain GPA. So I could either go to school for five and a half years, or I could basically graduate four and not go to the business school. So I have a, a, a BA in, in, in advertising and communications. But I was like, I really want to break into finance, so how do I do it? And and so I basically applied to an internship at Northwestern Mutual, which I didn't really fully understand was a sales career. Like it wasn't it wasn't high finance really. It was more so just like it was sales, um, which ended up actually being a great thing for me. Um, but I didn't actually understand what I was getting into when I when I originally signed up. And um, basically, long story short, on that is when I got there, I started selling financial products. Really what I did was I started studying and learning insurance. Northwest Mutual is an insurance company. I started learning insurance. You got to start somewhere. I wanted to go to securities, but I started in insurance. And uh, after selling a few policies, I mean, and that was hard. I was hitting the pavement, knocking on doors. They talk about like building your centers of influence and having these, these, uh, these, these warm, these warm leads. I was like, I, these things were ice cold. I didn't, there were no warm leads. Um, but <laughs> But, you know, what was interesting about it was I realized actually one of the harder parts was not the sale. It was everything that happened after the sale. It was all the logistics of the applications, getting the medicals placed, taking the like basically writing on the app, like we're understanding how to fill out the application and then send it into home office, which is in Milwaukee for Northwestern Mutual. Then it'd be wrong. So then you go back to the client. So there's all this back and forth that was just a total nightmare. And I wanted to fix it. I wanted to fix this process. And I said, if the largest issuer in the country of, of, of life insurance in the country has this massive bottleneck, this massive problem operationally and technologically, then like a lot of other people have this problem too. That was, that was essentially my, my thought process. So I was like, I'm like this kid out of college, I'm, like, I'm going to fix this problem for Northwestern Mutual. <laughs> so, yeah. So I had some bravado, I guess. Um, and I went to my managing partner at the time and I told him about this and he's like, you're out of your mind. Like he called me juvenile. He was all pissed off. And the reason he was pissed off is because like, if I leave, like he, he doesn't hit his quota. Managing partners, the number one thing that they're rated against is how good is the retention. And mm -hmm. so like, if I leave, it hurts his, hurts his retention numbers. So I was like, well, I don't care. Like you can call me names, but I'm still leaving. Um, like, that's not going to give me to stay. Uh, interesting strategy. Um, and so I left, I started this company called Rep Pro, which you mentioned. Um, and I started going, I left the captive world of Northwestern Mutual. That's, that's the captive agency. 
Um, I left that world and I went to the independent space and started building out these technology solutions, maintained being a financial advisor over, over those years, and then eventually sold the business to a company called The Nexus. And um, I would say it was my time at a Nexus where it helped me realize how fragmented and disjointed the independent financial advisory space is. Um, and I talk about two, two sides of, of, of fragmentation. One is product line fragmentation. So like life insurance, annuities, managed money, structured notes, like so on and so forth. Just like there's so much fragmentation across all those, all those product lines. And then there's fragmentation on the technology side of things. So how do you get all this stuff to talk to one another? And I thought um, we should build a platform that kind of connects all those dots. And that would be a better platform for independent financial advisors to run their businesses on top of. Um, and you got to start somewhere. So at Signal, we started with annuities. And um, and it was my time at a Nexus that really helped me that none of the groups in the space were actually trying to solve any of those problems. They right. were just trying to help advisors sell more premium, which is important. It's an important part, and we do that too. But everything else was basically neglected. It was 100% sales and marketing and no technology support, no operational support. And in my mind, those things needed to come together in order to really see tremendous growth. And so that was that was why um, I decided after selling to a Nexus and working there for a couple of years that I would I would leave and, uh, and start Signal. I, I think, you know, in, in my rudimentary way, you're trying to streamline the whole process. And if you can streamline it and make it more efficient, you can actually be more, you know, can do more business and help more people along the way is kind of what I'm, you know, what attracted yeah. me to you. So, you no, know, 100%. And I think, you know, for me, like why this is so fun is like, I just love entrepreneurship. And what we're doing at Signal is essentially creating a platform for independent financial advisors to run their businesses on top of. And the independent financial advisors, those are the entrepreneurial financial advisors. Those are the financial advisors that are building businesses on their own. So I think it's a really cool thing to empower business owners to build better businesses. That's, I mean, if I really boil it down and kind of extract away financial services, that's, that's what we do at Signal. So I'm going to back up two seconds here. I met Pat about, oh, it's about a year and a half ago, maybe two. I, I don't think it's that long, but about a good year and a half ago. And um, I was able to hear Pat talk recently. Um, and he was talking about, and you've heard him say this, about independent financial advisors and full disclosure i'm a i'm an independent financial advisor so he's he's speaking my language he's speaking to me brother um <laughs> so i started thinking i think we really need to do a podcast or you know a vcast yes another shameless pun you won't hear me say it again for the rest of the till the end um but i i really wanted to get into this because nobody what ends up happening is and, and you know, as the end the end client, I don't think they understand what an independent advisor is versus, you know, a bank, we'll call it a bank retail side advisor or what we call a wirehouse in, in our industry, right? So I, I, I think it's probably a good starting point to understand what an independent advisor is versus a wirehouse. And I, I think who better to speak on this is than you. You've, you've seen it all. Yeah, uh, no, I appreciate that. I mean, I'd, I'd love, obviously, for your help here because you, you you know pretty damn well yourself. Um, but but yeah, I mean, I, the way that I think about so in just I'd like to always come back to the consumer. We talked you know earlier off air about like thinking in first principles, and I think that's such a helpful way to think about these things because it's like 
you know, um, the reasons why some things exist are actually not from a consumer perspective. They're maybe from like someone else's, like maybe they're from a compliance perspective, you know, or, you know, maybe they're from, you know, kind of like the back end of the industry. Like how do I make the most money off the consumer's perspective? You know, there's different things at play other than just kind of like what the consumer wants and needs. And I think, you know, in the financial services world, those things have clashed quite a lot. Um, and I think a lot of people are trying to solve the problem, but it's a big problem. There's a lot to untangle here. It's a pretty big Gordian knot. So uh, my perspective is like, as the consumer, you walk into some financial advisor's door and the issue from my lens is like, you just get whatever they're set up to sell. Um, you don't really understand what they're set up to sell, but that's the main driver. Like if you go to somebody who does life insurance, you're going to get life. If you go to Northwestern Mutual, you're going to get some life insurance. You know, you're just going to. Um, if you go to, you know, Merrill Lynch, you're going to you're going to you're going to get um, some funds. Um, and those funds are probably going to have back deals with Merrill Lynch. You know, like the reason why they're putting you in those funds is because they make more money, money when you go into that fund versus another fund. And so, you know, I think the backside distribution of the like who's supporting the advisor behind the scenes is actually super, super important. Um, so sorry, go for it. Now I'm going to say so. What I'm hearing is, right, if we – basically when we use the term wirehouse, we could talk about maybe, you know, not Merrill Lynch's, J.P. Morgan's, the, you know, the Charles Schwab's of the world, right? Man. Yeah. Um, and and, and they're, they're really good, right? They're, 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 they do good business. They, you know, they help you with trading and maybe do research for trading. And I always feel like it's more investment-oriented, A, right? Um yeah, there's teams and those 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 structures that maybe do more, you know, broaden that that scope. Okay, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to paint everybody the same way, but um, but like you said, there's, you know, what are they actually doing for their client? Are they are they pushing a you know pushing certain product that's beneficial to them because it's has a better comp structure for you know. Merrill Lynch because you're using a Merrill Lynch fund or something along that lines. And, you know, something I always say when I sit down with clients is I sit on the same side of the table with them. I'm not across from them, right? Because my, as an independent advisor, my sole focus is, you know, make sure what's, what's done right for them. And now, you know, there's the other channel too, by the way, I don't want to leave them out is, you know, the banking channel where like, you, now you have like Bank of America and Merrill Lynch are now together, right? And you, you go into the bank and you can get, you get a lot of services there. But this is, this is the interesting part too, is, is every service they offered the best service, right? So, um, you know, well, that's, maybe, a, that's, maybe, that's a very good well, that's a very charged thing. I would totally agree with you. And I, I think um, it's the reason why that's like a, like a, a very charged, like best. You think like the word best, it would not be like, um, it would not be conf confrontational, like the word best, but like best interest is a standard um, mm -hmm. that, you know, so this is, it's kind of interesting. What, what's the best product or best plan versus what follows the best interest standard. So the way that I think of, you got broker dealers, you know, and the way that I really think about broker dealers, if I simplify it, and this isn't perfect, but I think it's a really simple way to think about it, is just commissionable securities. When they sell something, they make a commission on it. 
Um, you know, and so they, they don't fall, you know, underneath the best interest standard. They follow, uh, sorry, they, they, they follow underneath, you know, the best, the, the, um, reg BI and reg BI is regulated by FINRA. FINRA regulates broker dealers. Broker dealers are wirehouses. It's all this vernacular, all, all this terminology, but basically, you know, they're, they're falling under a certain, a certain, um, a certain compliance standard, um, that drives their um, what they can and cannot recommend okay right. and that's the the reg bi is what is the broker dealer world or or wirehouse world then on the other side and that's commissionable securities then on the other side of that you have you have the the ria registered investment advisory this is advice this is where you get you know stereotypically people hear about being charged one percent fee on their on their investable assets that's the ria side of the business and they're and they're regulated by the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission. And the Securities the Securities and Exchange Commission has said that they must follow the fiduciary standard, the, and that's the best. The fiduciary standard is the best interest standard. And so you kind of like slice the world down down the middle to those. There's like two camps. And then what's really weird about all this stuff is you got insurance that comes into the mix. And insurance is weird because it's commissionable. Which means that lots of people try to slot it into this broker dealer world, um, when in fact it's some it's a totally different animal. And if I'm going to build a plan, a financial plan for somebody, and I'm going to say it's in the best interest of that client, it follows the fiduciary standard. If I use insurance, all of a sudden it's no it no longer meets that standard. And what I have to do is I have to disclose that I have a conflict of interest, which is that I sold this commissionable product in, in, in the form of insurance, but insurance only comes in the form of a commissionable product. Like that's how the product, that's how the product chassis is structured. And right. so you basically have these, these, these regular, so here I'll back up for a second, Ed, because I, I don't know if you agree with this. My view is that the value of a financial advisor comes from the power of a financial plan and, and that a financial advisor is a quarterback for that whole entire plan. Oh, okay. All right. Now <laughs> I'm going to go on a little rant here. Go for um, it. Go for it. No, total, in a lot, total alignment because, by the way, I have the certified financial planning marks, right? And don't my pet peeve, and this is probably a whole other podcast, VCast, um, is there is no standard for financial to, to call yourself a financial planner in this industry. So whether now I went through, let's call it two years of, of studying and training and then testing to get to that, to get the CFP marks. If there, I feel like if there's any standard to be a financial planner, this is the one they should use, but nobody has come to forward. So, and to your point that I have a fiduciary standard just from getting the CFP marks, which means I have to do what's best interest for my client. Now I see commercials on TV I'm not going to name names where they talk about I'm a fiduciary of you, but they're really only talking about one specific product. And I'm going, how can you be a fiduciary with, and I call it, if I have a toolbox and I've got one tool in my toolbox instead of the 40 tools that I can possibly use on, to create your financial plan, how do you call yourself a fiduciary? Because if you limit yourself, 
like you said, the, the insurance conundrum that you were talking about is ridiculous because that's part of a financial plan. The protection component has a huge part to a, a, a financial plan. That's a whole other podcast. Yeah. Um, so, no, I'm in alignment with that because I think what ends up happening, what my experience is, Pat, and you back as an advisor, you know, you could comment on this too, is that when people go to do something, they they do it in the micro. I need insurance. I go get insu- I go get an insurance product. I go get you know I want to inv- I want to invest some money. If I get my investment professional, or maybe I do it on my own. Whatever you want. And what ends up happening is the the totality of it, the macro picture. There's no coordination or integration with all those decisions. Yeah, that's the power of the financial plan. It it's kind of like I always say. If I had, if I let's use a football analogy, if I had the best football players on the field but no strategy, I may win some games, but it's probably just. But I'd rather go at it from a strategy perspective, and we could maybe point to the, you know, not that I'm a fan of theirs, the New England Patriots. They had a system, yeah, they had a phenomenal quarterback. But if you looked at all the other players on, they were all role players, and they had a system they believed in. It was a strategy. So. Bring those players out, like you know, they they had a different set of players the next year, and they still were phenomenal. Right, you, you had, but you had that quarterback, and which kind of I didn't even realize this, but here you're absolutely right. I, I, I am the financial quarterback. I'm making sure that everybody. If I have other advisors, like an accountant or an attorney, in, I'm making sure they're doing their job too, because I may not be licensed or expert at that. But I'm overseeing and making sure things are being done with what I feel is in accordance of what they should be doing. And as a CFP, I have some knowledge, but I'm not licensed to do that. So I'm making sure things are in coordination with the goals and wants of the client are. So, yeah, you know, like I, I totally agree with you. And like my, my pet peeve around the fiduciary standard is that people throw it around as a differentiator when it's in fact just a it's, it's a regulatory requirement thrusted onto RIAs by the SEC. I know I used acronym. I'm like an anti acronym person. So like, but it's it's, you know, you never know it. <laughs> Securities and Exchange Commission. And, yeah, and, and, um, There's no way of avoiding it. I get it. You know, <laughs> no, but the, there is no way to avoid it, especially in financial services. But the, the reality is it's like fiduciary standard. It's not that it's not important. It just misses the point, which is like people talk about fiduciary standard as some sort of like higher moral authority. When in reality, it's a regulatory standard put on them by the SEC. And you can actually get a better plan that is in conflict with your fiduciary standard, which is a very contradictory like it's a confusing thing it's it's something that you would not expect it, you would think that the best plan for you would actually fall in line with the fiduciary standard based on those commercials that you're talking about that you've heard I'm like that's not that's just your business model your business model is that you charge a fee for advice and you have to comply with the fiduciary standard that doesn't make you different that makes you actually the same with all the other people that comply with that standard which they're required to do um, so that's a good leeway so let's reel this back in and say what is the attributes of an independent financial advisor and, and what, why is it, in my opinion, I think the best, it, it's one of the better ways to go. I'll, I'll, I'll be gentle. One of the better ways to go for a, a retail client. What, what is, what is the pros and cons here of, you know, working with an independent advisor versus somebody else? Let's put it that way. 
What are some of the pros and cons? I mean, I, I think the first thing is that that independent financial, and now it depends on the independent financial advisor, but I obviously, but I think that um, generally speaking, they have more flexibility broadly across their entire business. So um, that shows up in product recommendations. It also shows up in um, different individuals they have referrals with um, and, and relationships with. So you mentioned like, estate planners or tax preparation and CPAs, things along those lines. I think those are super important to building a financial plan and and you acting like the quarterback that you talked about being. Um, And so I I think it's no, I think the number one is just flexibility Um, and not only just product, but based on quota, you know, like there is no quota in the independent financial advisory world. And depending on the, the group that you're working with on the captive side or warehouse side or brokerage side, there can be quotas. Um, you know, so I, I think I think that's probably the number one thing I would say. I I would I totally agree, and I also think being agnostic to any one provider or product or anything like I love you, Pat. I love I love you, but yeah. there's there's a reason why we we were dealing with another sim, similar structure to your business prior to you, and even before that person, and. Sure. Listen, the best thing I can do for my clients is find the best strategic partners to work with, whether that's product related or platform related or whatever. You know, as an independent advisor, and we are an RIA structure, right? Yeah. So we go through our whole tech stack in the same same way. What's the best thing? What's the best outcome for our clients? Like when we make a change. I don't want to go backwards. Like if we we introduce a new client portal, I want it to be as good, if not better, than what I was offering before. It's the same thing. Like, you know, I'd like to think we're going to have a long standing relationship, and we're going to build. You know, you're you're building a wonderful platform, and and it's you know, I love what you guys are doing so far, and it's been a tremendous help for my clients. That's the end thing. Like, that's my standard. Right, like it's not whether my comp is good or anything. Like, believe me, I that's a different lens, you know. Yeah. Um, so, well, I think that leads to more business at the end. I mean, I think it's kind of like it's a it's a the client first lens allows you to actually build. If you have long, if you make decisions with like this long term sight in mind, then you know you'll you'll win long. You'll you'll win you'll win over time. So, I mean, that's that's the way that we view it. That's why we invest a lot of money into the things that we're doing is not to make money today, but to basically build the best platform for and And we talk about this a lot because where we're sitting, we actually don't interact with your clients, obviously. And so it's really hard for sometimes us to have that perspective where it's like, you got to think about the client. The client isn't just, you know, you, Ed, it's actually your clients. And I think that's how you build great stuff. Have a retirement or financial planning question for Ed? Connect now at smallwoodwealth.com. And while you're at it, click that subscribe button. Jumping the Wealth Curve is brought to you by Edward Bow, an investment advisor representative of Smallwood Wealth Management, a registered investment advisor. Strategies mentioned may not be suitable for everyone, and the information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for you. Information has been obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable. Their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. 
guaranteed. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action, as information and or opinions are subject to change without notice. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Past performance cannot be used as an indicator to determine future results. Smallwood Wealth Management provides content that is true and accurate as of the date of publishing. However, we give no assurance or warranty regarding the accuracy, timeliness, or applicability of the content. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this website or podcast and disclaim all liability in respect to all information, including but not limited to any liability for errors in accuracy, omissions, misleading, or defamatory statements. 